Welcome. This is Karen Modakaitis, and you're listening to How She Really Does It, the place where inspiration and possibility meet on KDRT 95.7 FM. In today's show, Tess Viglin returns, and some of you, you may remember her. She's been on the show a couple of other times. We talked about her World Domination Summit speech that she gave, and I will have a link to that speech on the webs, on the podcast notes, the show notes. And uh, then after that, we came back and we talked about how do you measure success? She had climbed a really tall ladder and we, those are the t- conversations. And today we're going to be talking about the truth about what happens when you leave your job and just even her own experience with writing this latest book of hers. So enjoy the conversation and I will circle back afterwards. Thanks so much for listening. Tess Vigland is a veteran journalist and a well-known voice to millions of American radio listeners. For 11 years, Tess was the host of Marketplace Money. And most recently, Tess is the author of Leap, Leaving a Job with No Plan B to Find the Career and Life You Really Want. After climbing the ladder, the tall ladder of success, Tess left NPR and has been on her own, quote, hero's journey. That's my quote. Tess, hello and welcome back. It is so good to be back. It's been, what, two years? I think so. Since we talked? I think so. It was a long two years, but <laughs> quite eventful. <laughs> well, I'm so glad that you've come back. And I did, like I told you before we got on, I really enjoyed your book. And here Thank was the, the reason I really enjoyed it. It wasn't a blueprint. Like it was, mm. I looked at it, it as it was the truth, right? This is what really goes on. I love that. And, and I'm so glad you feel that way because... You know, I I think that there is such demand out there for the blueprint. Mm -hmm. People want to be told how to live their lives because it's so much easier (laughs) if you get that. And I could have written the 10 steps to quitting your job and having a beautiful life, but I didn't want to write that because A, my my, my life is so much different from anyone else. Mm -hmm. So who am I to tell you how it's going to work for you? And B, I think honestly, that the best part of the last two, three years for me has been having to go through the muck, having to figure it out for myself and not having someone tell me, this is what's going to happen. This is how you're going to feel. Um, you know, that, that was the growth. And, you know, I, I, I just, I felt, I felt like when I was writing the book that, what I wanted to do was tell stories. And a lot of that is my own story. So it is part memoir. It is part about me. Um, and you know, other people who had done the same thing, but I, I just wanted to give people a sense of what the experience is like and maybe give them a sense of how to prepare for it emotionally and psychologically, because I think those are the two hardest parts Mm -hmm. of all of it. Um, but I didn't, you know, I didn't want to tell people what to do. So I didn't. Mm -hmm. And maybe that's disappointing to some people, but that's not the book I wrote. Well, it's, it's interesting because if people are disappointed, here it is that you're supposed to tell them what to do, but they're a stranger, right? Yes. How could I possibly tell you what to do? In fact, 
you know, I, I spent six years hosting a personal finance show where we took calls from people about their their money questions. And my constant thing was, look, we can give you the broad strokes of how to be smart about your money, maybe give you some tips on how to save it, how to make more, that sort of thing. But we cannot tell you how to manage your money because we have no idea what your financial situation mm-hmm. is. And we're not, we're not financial planners. That's, that's not what we're going to do. So I think there, there was a little bit of that to, to this book as well. You know, I can, I can give you the broad strokes, but you are a stranger reader. I don't know what your life is. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I know there are plenty of books out there that tell you that they will tell you how to live your life. And if, if that works for you, fan-freaking-tastic. Mm-hmm. I am so happy because any help that we can get in this life is valuable. <laughs> but I didn't feel it in my heart and soul that I could do that. Well, and I think a lot of the books, that, that's one of the draws to the books is the promise. Yes. Right? It's it's the promise, but then we can get so stuck in the researching of the promise Mm-hmm. That there's never the application, the integration of it, the actual living. And then it's like, oh, but here's another promise. I just, right. once I do this, my life will be fixed. It's yeah. Like, it's like weight loss. The promise of <laughs> yes, this diet. Totally, yes. <laughs> I, and I'm making fun of myself because I used to love to go to bookstores and be buy these books. And I'd come home and I was so excited. Like there was that rush. This book is going to fix my life. It was like <laughs> the fairy godmother. Bippity boppity boo. Here you go. So it would sit on my nightstand because I wouldn't read it, right? Because I was already researching the next book to solve my life. And and they would just sit there. But it was that promise of how it was going to make my life better instead of how was I going to show up, practice, tune into myself and look at, okay, what is it that I want to do? Or what is my current situation? How can I integrate that in my life? Exactly. And again, that's not easy work to do. Mm-mm. It is psychologically taxing. It is emotionally gut-wrenching. Um, you know, I, I, I had to deal with all kinds of questions about myself, you know, where my ambition came from. Why was it so important to me to have some element of fame in my life? Why, why did I have trouble thinking about a life outside of one that brought me, you know, virtual applause? Um, and I, I didn't like having to look at that <laughs> in myself. That's not a pleasant thing to do to realize that you have, you know, maybe an ego that's a little too big and how you tamp down on that. But that was the best part of all of it. And, you know, I, I guess maybe writing the book for me was a form of therapy mm-hmm. and, and it, and it, you know, again, it, it was not easy. It was very, very difficult. But I'm glad that I did it on my own. Mm-hmm. And um, I guess that's that's why I just wanted to write a book that told stories. Mm-hmm. And um, and thank you for reading it. You're welcome. You had mentioned that writing this book was like a form of therapy. One of the things that my guests always say on the show, and I have a lot of academics because I like that stuff that they go into their fields because it was the thing that they needed to learn. So like Kristen Neff, who's at University of Texas, Mm -hmm. she's the self-compassion researcher. Hmm. 
she needed to learn self-compassion because she was very judgmental, especially on herself. And when you talk about this book of, you know, it was therapy for you, I can see how that is just like these other people. It's like, or Todd Cashton, who is a positive psychologist, but he wrote The Upside of the Dark Side because he wasn't good at dealing with emotions. So Uh. that's the career that he was, you know, willing to go and rumble in because he wanted to learn more. So I can see how this project, this book, right, was something that helped you through your process as well as this, your stories and the stories of others can help the people out there. That is so fascinating. Um, because in following, in following kind of the line of logic that you're talking about, then, because I, I didn't really, I don't really think of the book as research, even mm-hmm. though I did, I mean, I interviewed like 80 people for it. Um, but, you know, when I, when I think about, well, what was I, what was I seeking in researching this aspect of myself, this is, I don't even know that I want to admit this, but I will. I think I was, I think I was trying to figure out why external validation is so important to me. Mm -hmm. That is my, that is my biggest weakness. I cannot find, I cannot find it in my, inside myself to be proud of myself and know that I had a great job and a great career and I'm still a wonderful person. Mm-hmm. I'm constantly looking for other people to validate not only me, but the experiences that I've had. Mm-hmm. So in thinking about how you describe those people who went, into, who went into research, I think that all the people that I talked with for the book, you know, they, they had all gone through leaps themselves. Mm-hmm. And it was really validating and comforting to find all these people who had had such a similar experience and were having the same kind of emotional, psychological breakdowns Mm -hmm. out of all of it. Um, A breakdown is too strong a word. Uh, Reevaluations. Mm-hmm. real struggles. And that was, that was one of my favorite parts of all of it. I mean, I I enjoyed writing the book, I guess, but for me, it was talking with all these other people about their own experiences of leaving a job and having no idea what they wanted to do next because we're all supposed to, right? So this goes against the grain of everything you're taught and everything that you're supposed to do in a traditional career. So that's just fascinating that you brought that up because that's not something that I, I don't think that's something that I would have come to on my own, which you do this to me. <laughs> like every time I talk to you, you're, you like put me on the couch and you make me realize, <laughs> oh, that's where that was coming from. But, you know, I, it wasn't in an academic setting, mm-hmm. but it certainly was for me a process of seeing, okay, I am not crazy. Mm -hmm. I am not alone in wanting to step outside of what you're supposed to do and see if there's something else out there. I am not the only one who has externally the most incredible career and opportunities and love for what I do and yet still wonders what else might be out there. 
Mm-hmm. So that was, that's so funny. That was clearly my research mm-hmm. and a way for me to have external validation mm-hmm. and have other people who were experiencing what I was experiencing and thus could say, you are not alone. Mm-hmm. So going back to Kristen Neff and some self-compassion, the components of self-compassion is, is self-kindness. And then another piece is common humanity. And so what you're talking about is this common yeah. humanity piece of, I'm not alone. There's other people out there like me. Yes. You know, I'm not crazy to walk away because everybody else was staring at you like, why would you leave? Yeah. But you're not crazy to walk away. There are other people out there like you. And it, and then knowing that it's also not easy. There's a rumble that goes on. There's, you know, there can be a, a day where you feel freedom and then the next moment you can be in panic, right? That is all real. Yes. yes. It's the roller coaster that mm-hmm. I talk about. You well, know, it's, it's constant. And yes, we have roller coasters our entire life. I mean, there's no such thing as a smoothed out life. But when you do something like this, when you take a risk, when you take a leap, it's it's just, it's on fast forward. Um, and the highs are much higher and the lows are much lower. But I guess, I guess what I've figured out is that I'd much rather do that than be on a freaking merry-go-round. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it is. And you know, that you, you were there for my speech, right? Two mm-hmm. years ago. Mm-hmm. And for me, I, I, I expected nothing out of that speech. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't, I didn't even think people would like it because it wasn't pretty. And it didn't have a happy ending. Um, this is a speech I gave about eight months after after leaving the job. And yet, what I kept hearing from people was, thank you for not sugarcoating it. Thank you for not having a happy ending. Mm-hmm. Because that's that's my life. Mm-hmm. And I think we, we go around hearing so many happy endings. Mm-hmm. We go around with so much celebration of lives that at least externally have worked out so perfectly. Mm-hmm. And that's then what we expect of ourselves. And that's what we set ourselves up for. And that is impossible. Mm-hmm. And so for me, speaking my truth in all its beauty and ugliness and having people respond to that and say, yes, Thank you. Thank you for having just a normal, screwed up, crazy life because that's mine too. Mm-hmm. And I'm really tired of being told that if I do X, Y, and Z, everything's going to work out. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, I think the, the biggest applause line of the initial, of the original speech uh, that the book is now based on was, you know, the next person who tells me to just make it happen <laughs> gets a slap in the face. <laughs> <laughs> or punch in the face, I think is what I said. You know, it's oh, the happy talk just gets really exhausting. Mm-hmm. And um, so, you know, I, I love that 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 Kristen is talking about the self compassion and the sharing of humanity because that's that's what this is. Mm-hmm. And if people if people can get just an inkling of that from my book, then I've done my job. Mm-hmm. Well, I think you know, like we have these extraordinary Facebook lives, right? So, oh yeah. 
and we have all this, again, the promise, these illusions of this better life or this great life that's happening for everybody else, but not ourselves. And that triggers our own compare and despair, which in comparison sits in the seats right next to shame. And then that's the voice of you're not good enough. Right. And it's just this downward spiral instead of realizing that, okay, we're all going through this. We move through struggle and there's going to be some great moments where they feel joyful and carefree. And then there's going to be panic and fear. And that's all normal. Yes. There's nothing wrong with you. No, it's the human experience. Mm -hmm. But you're right. It's we're so bombarded, especially in the era of social media. Mm -hmm. And I'm guilty of this. I don't I don't put the the crap the that I'm Mm -hmm. feeling on Facebook because nobody's going to like it. I mean, like, nobody's literally going to press the button for like. <laughs> and as someone who appreciates external validation, well, then that's not the kind of post I want to put up there. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it's, that's not life. That's not real life. Um, and I, you know, I, I wish that we could express more of that on a regular basis because that, that's, that's normal. Mm-hmm. And I do have friends you know, you and I are part of the World Domination Summit community, and and I do have friends who do put put it all out there. Mm-hmm. And every time I read a Facebook post like that, it almost it almost makes me cry because I'm like, thank you, mm-hmm. thank you for saying that it's not all sweetness and light and unicorns unicorns mm-hmm. coming out my butt, you know, mm-hmm. because that is just not real. Mm-hmm. It's not real, and Facebook is not real. <laughs> It's just not. Even Instagram. Mm-hmm. It's not real. You know? Um, and it's hard to push against that. It's really hard to push against that. So well, I'm glad at the very least we have podcasts like this. <laughs> at least we could have realness in audio, if not virtually online. <laughs> well, and, and I think if we understand those, those containers, like re- reminding ourselves that reality TV is not real. Right. Reminding ourselves that what people put on Facebook, that is a snapshot. Like sometimes I think about that. I go, you know, what do you have to do to take the picture? Like this morning I had coffee with my girlfriend. We do this every Friday morning. I never put a picture up there. But and I wouldn't even want to spend the time and I'm not judging others. But for me to spend the time to take the picture and then the anxiety of like, which one's the right picture? It's just not (laughs) where I want to spend it. Right. To show the illusion of I'm here I am with this person. And there's times that I do, you know, have pictures up and stuff. And, um, but I, but I always wonder, I'm like, how did the people have the time? Like when I really think about it, that they had to stop in that moment and take it. And that's for some people that's aligned with their values. And, you know, I have another guest that'll be coming on and she's a photographer and she takes the most amazing pictures. And one was in the grocery store and I was looking at her blog and I was like, wow. Then I thought, oh my gosh, she has to stop there in the middle of everything and (laughs) take these photos. Right. right, And I just, you know, and I'm not judging her. I was like, oh my gosh, that would be too much for me. I would feel uncomfortable. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But she, t- and I'm so thankful because I get to see the world through her eyes. So it's, it's just an interesting thing when I think about what has to go on behind the picture to make that happen. Yeah. The picture or the status update or the, mm-hmm. even, even when somebody throws up a link, you mm-hmm. know, but <coughs> excuse me, I think I'm getting a cold, mm-hmm. not happy. Um, you know, I uh, I think what you're getting at is is being judged. Mm-hmm. 
you know, and it, again, I mean, it's the external validation again. It's, it's the fear of not doing it the way you're supposed to do it, mm-hmm. whatever it is, whether it's an Instagram photo or, or status update or, or a book or a podcast, you know, that you're going to ask the wrong questions or that you're going to look stupid or, you know, whatever it is. And I, you know, I had to deal with this all the time when I was on the radio mm-hmm. and for a while, I had a really thin skin. And then I was just, I did it for so long that I finally learned that when people were writing in saying they didn't like my voice, they didn't like my writing, they didn't like being told to save for retirement, they didn't like the show, they didn't like the music on the show, you know, whatever it is, because people will much more write in for things they don't like than the things that they do like, right? I mean, that's just look at Yelp. <laughs> um, but you know, I started to learn that A, it was more about them than it was about me, which is very, very hard to accept. And B, they were, they were perhaps having a bad day. Maybe they were angry about something. I think, I think frankly that our society is incredibly angry right now. It's toxic. It's cruel, especially online. Um, but somehow I was able to for the, for the, for the things on the radio, I was able to say, they're judging, they're judging my show. They're judging public radio. They're judging the radio station. Um, and I was able to step away from that and say, it's not about me with the book or with whatever I post online, whether it's Instagram or Facebook or whatever, or, or a blog post or a newsletter post when, you know, that that's very personal. And I have not developed a thin skin on that. And I am, I am deathly terrified of being judged. Um, and I take it, I don't take it well. I do, I, I do not have the rhinoceros skin that you have to develop. And I guess I am constantly surprised that I'm still willing to be as vulnerable as I am. I mean, even the stuff that we're talking about today. Why am I talking about this with you? <laughs> Why am I telling you all this? I don't know. You, you have some magical power over me, <laughs> but, but at the same time, you know, I mean, there are going to be people who are going to roll their eyes and not understand what I'm talking about and say, she needs to just go crawl in a hole somewhere. Maybe they won't be that mean, but you know, at the same time, I have learned over the last three years that people need, need and want to hear this. Maybe mm-hmm. not everybody, mm-hmm. but people want to hear, people want to hear two things in their lives, I think. And this is what I learned out of giving such a raw speech that a, they want to know that they are special and unique and that there's no one else in the world like them. B, they want to know that everyone else in the world is like them. They <laughs> want to know that they are not alone, that every, everybody else has the same crazy crap going on in their heads that they do. So reconciling those two things is incredibly hard. Mm-hmm. But I think that's why it's so important to talk about this stuff and to have these conversations and to say, yeah, you know, you are unique and you are different. And that's why I can't tell you how to live your life. But yes, you also are a human being and it's part of the human condition to feel these, these feelings and it's okay. And I'm right there with you. And you know, that that has to make you feel better because they're just, you know, nobody wants to be alone. Nobody wants to think that they are the only one going through the muck. Mm-hmm. 
Well, that's the thing is that we want that vul- we want you you to be vulnerable, right? You share because then, oh, I'm not the crazy one. Right. Right. So show me your insides so I can go in with my insides, but I don't want to have to show you my insides. Right. Right. So we want this from other people. And, and then the other aspect is, and you brought, you talked about this in the book too, is the either or, right? But we're actually both. It's that idea of, I want to know I'm unique, but I also want to know that common humanity piece that I'm not doing, I'm not the only one going through this. And yes. instead of thinking that it has to be one or the other, we can actually coexist. So like this is one situation where you can't have it all. Yes. yes. And one you know one of the things like when I was a a young college coach, swim coach and I'd have these young male assistants who used to be my husband's former athletes and you know so there's a whole bunch of complications with that. But they would come in and I would say because I thought you were either nice or you were the B word. There was no in between. There was no huh. you know and so I would say look I'm not nice because for me, nice meant you get run over. I have to bring you cupcakes on your birthday and balloons and I don't do that, <laughs> right? And so I was like, well, I just choose B. Like, I, that's fine. I'm good with that. We're going. We got stuff to do, right? Yep. And, and instead, like, to realize that I can be tough and I can be tender. That yes. can be me. And so it's not this – before be like, well, you're talking out of both sides of your mouth, Corinne, right? But it's about being both of those things. And when we can say it's okay to be both of those things – and when are the appropriate times? When is it important to be unique? And when is it important to be a part of something? Right. And right. knowing that. Yeah. And that's just a learning process, mm-hmm. you know. But I think it's just so important to talk about it. And I think, you know, honestly, I think it's even harder for women. I really do. Because, you know, there's the whole, you know, our are you feminine or are you, you know, the, the bee at work, you know, and why, why can, why can you not be powerful and feminine at the same time? Um, that there's this, again, it's societal expectation and it's kind of how people have expected us to, to, to operate and to act and, and to conduct ourselves over time. And I hope it's changing that, that we can have our own unique, idea of what power means of what it means to be um in a in a in a position of power whether you're a manager or a ceo or, or whatever but that you can also be you know you can also have femininity and understanding and vulnerability and that doesn't make you weak mm-hmm. and i don't know i mean I, I suppose men go through that too but as a woman i think that that has been especially in the workplace it's such a struggle Mm-hmm. And not a lot of people have been able to figure out that that balance. And it seems like any moment that someone tips one way or the other, even Marissa Mayer at Yahoo, you know, you, you see this happening mm-hmm. with her where she makes one decision and she's hailed as a brilliant feminist and and terrific woman. And then she tips the other way and people are like, oh, my God, you're not a woman. You're a man. You're terrible. And there has to be. I hope at some point we find some balance in there where you can be both, but you don't have to walk some weird fine line about it. Um, I don't know. I'm going off on a tangent now. So, so you're just <laughs> no, you're just agreeing to come back to my show because we have another topic. <laughs> <laughs> Little okay. did you know. <laughs> okay. So we will be coming back to that, listeners. But I want to circle back to something else that you said 
earlier was about, you know, numbers, right? And um, in one of the things that I've had to really wrap my head around, because we want to judge, it's that external validation. How many likes do we get? How many, you know, followers do we have? All of this stuff. It's, if we can't measure it, it doesn't exist. But how do you measure really impact? You know, and so while I have good numbers for my show, I don't share it. And it's interesting. Don't usually get asked. I was asked once and I thought about it and I said, well, I don't share it because that's not the value of the show because how am I supposed to measure these emails that come in to my inbox and say, your show changed my life? Yes. I was going through a hard time and it just helps me. It feeds my soul, whatever it may be. How do I measure that? Yeah. That is, I'm so glad you brought that up because, well, and we were talking about this a little bit earlier before, before we, when we were just having a private conversation that, you know, I, I've made the decision, uh, not to know what my sales numbers are on my book. I am not looking and I've asked random house not to tell me because I know, I know that I will judge myself mm-hmm. based on that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I understand that it's a business and numbers are important and, you know, book publishing, you should care whether you are on the New York Times bestseller list, which, which I am not, mm-hmm. but well, wait, time I out, can't. time out. Seth Godin says that that's a game. It is a game. It's a game. And you understand that. And so do yes. I, because we know the marketing machine that goes behind it. I'm not saying those yes. authors aren't worth it, but no, it's no, a no. game and it is a game and I'm not willing to play it. Mm-hmm. And Amazon reviews mm-hmm. are also a game. Yep. Another thing that I finally stopped looking at because it was literally affecting how I felt about myself daily. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I, I did, I sent, <laughs> I sent one email out to my friends that said, look, I have to play this game on Amazon. Can you please go, you know, do a review? And at the end of the email, I said, now I'm going to go take a shower. <laughs> Because I feel gross <laughs> and I don't want to play the game. And so I, I have not asked, I've, I've like stopped asking it because to me, that's just why, 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 first of all, should I care about the stars? Why, first of all, should I care about reviews um, for people who don't know me? And again, maybe I wrote the book that, that, that they didn't want, or they wanted a different book. It's not the book I wrote. And I have to feel really good that I wrote a freaking book. Mm-hmm. That's an accomplishment. That's huge, and yeah, with yes. a very good publishing house, by the way, with a very good publishing house. Yes, and I have to feel proud of what I put out, and I am. So, I don't know the numbers. I don't know my sales numbers. I have, I don't pay attention. Um, but what I am getting in my and this is exactly what you're just saying. What I am getting in my inbox from people writing to me through my website or people sending me. Facebook messages or even tweeting me, mm-hmm. what I'm getting from them is thank you. Mm-hmm. What I'm getting from them is I have been in a workplace situation for the last two years that have wasted two years of my life where I was not either being treated right or I just wasn't satisfied with what I was doing or I was tired of what I was doing, but I felt like I had to stay in it just because of this and because of that and because of that. But your book has showed me that I I can step away and I can take some time. And that to me, that's why I wrote the book. Mm-hmm. 
And I have to remember that, that even if I had only gotten one of those emails, I've gotten probably 200 mm-hmm. of them just mm-hmm. in the four weeks since the book came out. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's the same effect that, that, the, that, the, that the speech had. Mm-hmm. And, and he- I have to look at that and say, what was important, Tess? Why did you do this? Was it to be on the New York Times bestseller list, mm-hmm. as every author is supposed to want? Or was it to impact people's lives and to tell them that they have other options and that they need to put themselves first and that sometimes it's just better to step away and take some time and figure out what the hell you want to do with the rest of your life? Mm-hmm. That, if people are stepping back and doing that because of my book, oh my God, that makes me, that makes me want to cry it's for very good reasons. That is so much more important than my book sales. It has to be. And I have to remind myself of that every single day. Well, what a contribution, right? It's a contribution yeah. to the world because yeah. you're making an I put impact. it out there. Yeah. It's not, and, it that, and that's something to think about like when we can post things anonymously, you know, are we making a contribution or yeah. are we just venting in a container that isn't appropriate? Yeah. And I'm not saying, you know, it's not that I don't get frustrated or mad and stuff, but there's appropriate containers to vent. And yeah. then there's stuff where I don't, I'm not having to own my story because I can hide behind anonymity. Right. 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 Yeah. Well, that's what we were talking earlier about Brene Brown, who mm-hmm. was a hero of mine. <laughs> Daring Great. I'd read Daring Greatly just before I started writing my own book. And it was, it was exactly what I needed to hear. I actually listened to the audiobook while I was driving back and forth from LA to Mammoth. Um, and if you've ever been on that road, the 395, mm-hmm. listening to her words while being surrounded by the Sierra wow. in California was just, it was, it was extraordinary. Um, but, you know, we were talking about how she went through that when mm-hmm. she did her TEDx talk. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's, that's what, that's what it's, it's, it is exactly what she talks about, which is vulnerability. And, and that that there are people who do not know where those appropriate buckets are to mm-hmm. express anger, to express disappointment, to express, you know, whatever it is. And part of that, again, is because the world we live in right now is so full of opportunities to express those things and anonymously. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's where I just, I feel like there is so much, there is so much anger in civil society, that it is no longer civil. Mm-hmm. And I know people have done a million studies on that and had conversations about that. And there are all kinds of articles about that. And And I will never understand how anyone thinks that it's appropriate um, to, to express yourself in such a way that just hurts another person. But it's so easy now. And there's so much anger and there's so much frustration. I, you know, I know People are frustrated with the political process. People are frustrated with the fact with the income inequality process. I mean, it's just, there's so much wrong right now that I think that's affecting people and it's affecting how they interact. And with all these opportunities to spew, to spew hate, to spew um, you know any anything that is not uh, love and support, that's what people are going to do. <laughs> Um, 
I think people get confused and because and I know I did too, because I used to think authenticity was standing on rooftops. And let me share it with you instead sure. of, you know, one of the things that I, Brene has taught me is that you are vulnerable with the people who've earned the right to hear your story. Oh, I love that. And and I think that's yes. a beautiful container. That's a good reminder. Yeah. Yes. It's a really beautiful container. And so, you know, that because I think there's a misnomer that happens is that, oh, you know, once you reach this higher level of well-being, you don't have those crappy thoughts. Are you kidding? There are days that I need to verbally vomit because I'm like, ah, right, 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 yeah, you know, yeah. but I have to do it in a place where either somebody can hold that space for me and keep that safe, right? And not yeah. judge me and let me do that because I process, obviously, by talking right? No shock yep. here. But that's how <laughs> I process. And so like, as I'm talking, all of a sudden, things are kind of making sense. And I can kind of explore and look and you know, all of that stuff. So I need to verbally vomit. If you were to say, well, Corinne, you know, you, you should know all this stuff better and da 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 da. Then then that doesn't give me the space to make mistakes doesn't give no, me the space, down. Yeah, to even explore. I just yeah. numb and yeah. get disconnected. So we all have that, but knowing where's the appropriate boundary and where's not. Here's a little funny story. Talk about going on a tangent. So <laughs> I'm really mad at Apple right now. Really yeah. mad at them. I've been an Apple user since third grade. I own just about every Apple product. I mean, it's ridiculous. Like right now I see four Apple products in my office, right? So I went to go buy my kids a computer two weeks ago. And all of a sudden I went, wait, I can get them the educational discount. So it was hard to find it. I had to Google it, found it, got it, $200 off. Sweet, right? And I go and it said something about free Beats headphones. I'm like, I don't care about that. But I wanted the $200 off. So yeah. I go through the process and you have to pick the headphones. So I was like, okay, fine. And they, they give you the money back on the headphones. I made sure. And then I kept looking for my discount. I couldn't find it. And I'm like, huh. So then I get on chat because I didn't want to get, you know, get on the phone. Yep. And I asked them and they, and they look and they say, oh, it's the Beat headphones. And I said, that's not what your copy says. Your copy, and of course, I'm going to be aware of copy. Your copy <laughs> says $200 off and get these free Beat headphones, right? Yeah. So I said, it is misleading. And I said, Apple is better than this. That I'm really disheartened. And they said, oh, well, you know, a friend of mine sold their Beats and they got the 200 I go, that is not value added. That is a bait and switch. And I think Apple's better than that. There are other companies out there that do this. This is not what I've known Apple to do. Yeah. You know, I said, I'm really disappointed in this company. So I've been like processing this for a couple of weeks and I was really mad. And part of me is like, I just want to take this to social media, you know, and I just want to bash them. <laughs> and then I thought about it. I'm like, is that how I want to be known? Yeah. As somebody who bashes. And here I am doing it on my own show. But there's a story, right? So this yes. is the this is the process. It's a learning. Yeah, there's so I'm using this as an example of, you know, yes, I can have crappy thoughts too. And I can get mad. Yeah. And how yeah. do you how do you actually move through this stuff? So then I thought about it and I was like, I could just say, Apple, you're better than this, and then put, you know, a link to their website. Because they are. They're better than that. They that's they don't need that bait and switch. Right. And um, and then I just hadn't gotten around to it because I was thinking about it, but I really thought about how do I want to represent myself publicly? Because I, I thought, Tess, I was like, well, I can just create my own Twitter, a different Twitter handle that's not connected to me. <laughs> oh, you're so funny. Because <laughs> right? I was thinking about all these things as I was processing. But the reality is, is that they're, you know, that was my process. So I had all these thoughts. I was yeah. angry at this company yeah. that I've had a long-term relationship that I will pay top dollar for over if, something cheaper because of the value if, of the, the products. The, 
if we can find anyone who doesn't have anger, uh, mm-hmm. they're not human. Yeah. They're not from here. Seriously. You know? But it is a matter of figuring out how you're going to relay that message. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this is... <laughs> This is, again, you and I had a little conversation before we started, and that that's part of why I left my job, mm-hmm. because of how messages were delivered. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I don't always expect everything to be great. I don't always expect sunshine and light, but there has to be, there has to be a way of communicating, um, displeasure, frustration, anger, whatever, without destruction. Mm -hmm. And if you can't do that, I don't want to be around you. And uh, that's all we'll say about that. (laughs) (laughs) But here's the thing, because I've been working on this with a lot of clients this week. So I had one client who was like, oh, well, we're a startup. That's why... You know, we have all these problems. And another client's like, well, we're just a poorly run biotech company. Then I have another client who's like, well, I'm not a good leader of my engineering firm. I mean, this is this week, right? Wow. And the thing is, is that we don't know how to communicate. We just discharge emotions. We don't like, that's why Todd Cashton's book, The D- Upside of the Dark Side, is really important. It's not that they're bad emotions like anger no. or something or shame, right? It's what are the messages that they're trying to tell you and learning how to react with those messages instead of just this instantaneous defense mechanism that we go to. And I do it too. I am not a perfect person. So, but not if once we can, if we can learn how to do that and then also be willing to have courageous conversations, willing to own our story. Like for you, I was so impressed the fact that when you talked about, um, that your need for external validation, this fame, right, was more important to you than even fortune and being yeah. able to own that story. I mean, you didn't have to put that there, but really to like put that in front of you and in front of all these people who are going to read it yep. and critics and say, here, this is something and I'm, I'm looking into this. I'm trying to understand why. Because intellectually, right, you could probably know that, well, I shouldn't be thinking this. Right. But it, but for you, it's a driver in understanding why, but from a compassionate place. Yeah. And that's a hard place to get to. That's a really hard place to get to. If, especially if, if you look at yourself and you think, and you, and you think of how you operate as wrong, mm-hmm. right? That there's something wrong with you. But yeah, you know, honestly, uh, so the, the book's been out for what, four weeks mm-hmm. at this point. And I've had so many times in the last four weeks, and certainly before that, where I was like, uh, can I take that back? <laughs> can I not put that in the book anymore? <laughs> can we just go through all of the hardbacks and rip that page out? Mm-hmm. Because, you know, I revealed stuff about my own psychology and insecurity and and mistakes, huge mistakes, including financial mistakes, mm-hmm. which is... Mm-hmm coming from the woman who hosted a personal finance show. Mm-hmm. And there's a big part of me that's like, why, why were you so vulnerable? Why, why, what, what are you doing? But, you know, then again, I have to own that. And I think part of my process with all that's happened over the last three years is owning it. Mm-hmm. And 
I think I'm a better person for that. I feel I certainly feel like I'm a I'm a different person than I was three years ago mm-hmm. because I had to do that hard emotional and psychological work. Mm-hmm. And you know, I I didn't do it on a couch, mm-hmm. but I did it in front of my computer. Mm-hmm. And I did it in interviews. And um, you know, I I think I will I will for a long time look at parts of the book and say, you should have held that a little more tightly <laughs> to yourself. Um, but you know, at this point it's out there and I just have to I have to own it. Mm-hmm. And that's what I'm trying to do. And I also, you know, I that that I, I'm gonna have to like have tattooed on my forehead that quote that you just had from Brene Brown about how you know the, the the vulnerability that you express is for the people who are willing to accept it or w- oh, whatever. You the, share your story with people who've earned the right to hear it. Yes, you share yeah. your story with people who have earned the right to hear it. Now, mm-hmm. I can't pick and choose who's going to pick up the book mm-hmm. or order it or whatever. Um, but what I can do is pick and choose mm-hmm. what I what, what I do- accept mm-hmm. from those who read it. Mm-hmm. And. And knowing that, I mean, how we learn, right? I mean, one of the reasons I think Brene is really just taking off is she's an amazing storyteller. Yes. And she really uses a lot of stories from her life. And one time we were talking about, you know, because her daughter is a year older than mine, and then we both have a a younger child. Um, But how do you just differentiate the stories? You know, what's the appropriate story to share within your own family, right? And what do you share online and offline and, and understanding that? So the, you know, your story is out there. And just like, you know, it sounds like you're having a vulnerability hangover like she did after her TEDx talk. Oh, yeah. And trying to get her husband to go and hack into TED and take it all down <laughs> and just pretend it never there. But here's something else that's so important that she says, and this is her, based on her research. When you own your story and really own it, then you can write a new ending. Yeah. Right. And so you own this story by sharing all this stuff and saying, look, this is authentically me. Here you go. And you, the, there are going to be haters. There's nothing you can do about that. Right? Yep. And there's going to be people's lives who are going to be changed. But you own your own story. Then you can look at it, unpack it, and, and go, what can I learn from this? And then you can write your own ending. A lot of times what we try to do is we try to run from it like, oh, well, you know, I, I did personal finance on this radio show. Yeah, of course, I've got it all together. Let me show you. <laughs> Look at my image life, you know? Yeah. Because yeah. let me show you. And then they continue to run from it until it all comes falling apart. Exactly. But you owned it. So like, here's your story. You've owned it. And then now you get to write your own ending. Yep. So speaking of endings, because <laughs> we do have to go, um, what is next for you? I have, um, let's see, how do I, where do I start with this? Okay. So the last three years I've basically been writing the book, uh, freelancing, doing some, some other stuff, you know, to make a living. Um, but I just didn't know, I still didn't know like what I wanted to do, but what I have come to realize is that I, I love storytelling Mm -hmm. just like Brene. I love finding new people to talk to. Mm-hmm. I love interviewing. I love having conversations. I love then having the challenge of recreating that and, and coming up with something written or, 
or audio or photography or whatever it is. Um, so I feel like I'm not ready to fully go into something else entirely. Mm-hmm. I want to stay in my wheelhouse. Mm-hmm. And I had to go through a long process to figure that out. But I did a trip to Peru in early February of 2015, where I went on a medical mission uh, with a team from Oregon, including my father, to the middle of the Andes, to a clinic that serves the indigenous population there, people who have nothing. By our standards, they have a just a life of poverty. They don't have running water. They don't have electricity. They don't have medical care. And so a lot of their children are born with bone deformities. And this team goes down every year and literally makes it so that children can walk for the first time in their lives. Wow. This is not routine, but it's fairly, fairly usual medicine for the Western world. Mm-hmm. In this tiny town in, in the middle of the Sacred Valley in Peru, it's science fiction. Mm-hmm. It is science fiction. So I spent several days at this clinic with this indigenous population and this medical team. And it changed my life. I fell in love with these people who have nothing yet had a joy about them that was staggering. Um, A gratitude about them that was beyond anything I've ever seen. And yet they don't have any of the things that we have. Mm -hmm. And yet we are are an unhappy people, Mm -hmm. right? Mm Mm-hmm. So I cried every day while I was there, and I cried for two weeks when I got back, and I've been trying to process all that for several months, and I am now finally coming to a point where I, uh, I think I have a final project that I'm going to put out into the world that's about this trip to Peru. And I had 12 hours of audio tape and 1,500 photographs wow. that I've winnowed down. And uh, when I came back, I switched computers, and in that, I lost 95% of my audio. So that's been part of also why I haven't finished it yet because I was so devastated by that. But you move on. Mm -hmm. And what I've decided to do is that I want to travel. I want to see the world. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's not like I hadn't been anywhere before, but I've been to Europe. I've been to westernized South America, Buenos Aires, Argentina. Um, But I want to go places where societies don't have all the stuff that we have. Mm-hmm. And I want to find out what brings them joy. I want to talk to them about what brings them joy. I want to investigate, you know, how how other people live. And I know plenty of other people have done that, but this is what I've decided I want to do mm-hmm. with the skills that I have. Mm-hmm. Um, so in mid-December, I'm taking a backpack full of audio equipment and photography gear, and another backpack of clothes and shoes, and I'm going to Southeast Asia. I'm starting there, and I don't know when I'm coming back. Wow. My house goes on the market in a week. Wow, so you're selling your house. Yes. Wow. I'm very excited about this. I mean, I, I really am. I don't, I don't know what I'm getting myself into, but I'm really excited to just force myself into places where I'm not comfortable. You know, this is this is one of the big things I learned in the book is that mm-hmm. I I can be okay with uncertainty, and you know I I have not had a plan for the last three years. 
Mm-hmm. And now I'm going to travel without a plan. I know where I'm starting, but where I go from there, I'm going to let the stories dictate that. And I have no doubt, I have every confidence that that they will come, that, that those stories will find mm-hmm. me. Uh, so... You know, people people ask, you know, well, how are you doing it financially? Well, as as I noted, you know, selling the house. And I know I know, again, as a personal finance person, that I should put all that money into my retirement account. Mm-hmm. But I am not living for retirement right now. Mm-hmm. I am living for now. I'm 46 years old. I've never had a real adventure. My whole life was planned out, and I hit every mark that I ever set for myself, every goal. I hit them early. And now I just want to go. Mm-hmm. And so I'm going to go have an adventure. I'll see you later. Well, Tess, good luck. And you are coming back because we have more topics to talk about. So we're going to try to schedule those before you go. But if not, we'll be able to Skype from anywhere in the world. So I'm not That's too concerned. Right. Thank right. you so much. It was such a, such a pleasure to talk with you again. Oh, you know, it's always my pleasure. And seriously, I don't know how you do it, but you like pull stuff out of me. <laughs> but it's always good. And I'm so happy to have these conversations. And, uh, I just, I just love your show and I love you and thank you. Well, thank you. And thank you for writing the book because it is the truth. And for the people that need to hear that story, it, it'll be good for them. So thank you. Wow. So that was really unexpected. She had told me while we were doing, uh, talking before the interview that she had figured out what she was going to do next and what, you know, and she could share it. And I was like, oh, great. I wasn't expecting that. <laughs> so I was a little stunned, surprised, but I'm excited for it. And of course, it makes perfect sense, right? Those are within her wheelhouse. Those are things that she likes to do and is so good at. So I'm really excited to watch as her journey continues. And I will have that WDS speech on the show notes page so you can circle back there. And one of the things that I wanted to share with you is so often in this Facebook era and all these numbers that we're trying to measure, it's kind of like, if you can't measure it, it doesn't matter. But really, if you can measure it, it probably doesn't matter. It's it's not about the measurements. It's about the people. It's about the impact. And I think last year or so, Betsy Rappaport, who's an editor and she's edited a lot of Martha Beck's books, has this brilliant question, how many lives would your writing have to change for your writing to be worthwhile? Think about that. And for you, maybe you're not a writer. So how many lives would have to change for you to own your story? And think about that. And really, the answer is one. And hopefully it's your life and it's worth it. We can so often discount our story and think it doesn't matter, but it can to one person and that can be you. So start there and you can become the leader in your own life. I'm going to have an outtake of some stuff that Tess and I talked about that was kind of funny. It was my own nerves about the show and that will be at the end after I finish wrapping up the show. So listen all the way to the end today. We're building a community here at How She Really Does It. I'm really excited about this. Go there to sign up for free and you'll receive the weekly newsletter as well as an opportunity to connect. You never know. You may email me a question and it may be answered in the newsletter or here on the podcast and it may just spur me to go find that person that can help you with that question. So I invite you, join us. A special thanks to Tess for joining us. And wow, 
What a surprise for her next chapter. I'm excited because she's coming back to share more. Yay. Yay us, right? Until next time, remember, we all have our struggles and uncertainty. And it's not about defining yourself with them. It's about learning how to move through them. You are not alone. And I'm smiling big for you. I started judging myself and then all of a sudden I shut down. Don't judge yourself, Corinne. No. You are a trigger for me. <laughs> You're a total trigger. I was telling my girlfriend this morning, I was like, crap, I have to interview this lady who was on NPR. I didn't send her the outline yesterday because I was all freaked out. Oh my God, you're so funny. I got before You should say that. <laughs> That's hilarious. You oh are too funny. I was like, oh. Then I had to be like, okay, put that voice aside, Corinne. Yes. Just show up and do this. Yeah. <laughs> on a lake, she is dreaming. She is drifting. Never been so wide awake